0: Karen Doherty has been working to highlight the need for better access to mental health services and stronger support for families affected by suicide. She does not want another mother to experience what she went through. Karen lost both of her sons to suicide in the space of two and a half years. Her eldest son Stephen took his own life at the age of 30 after years of struggling with drug addiction. Two years later, her younger son Graham also died by suicide. We spoke to Karen as part of the Journal.ie's Left Behind podcast, presented by me, Michelle Hennessy we'll be hearing from people who found themselves thrust into the role of a campaigner after a serious loss. They'll tell us what brought them to where they are now and how they feel about having to fight for change during one of the most challenging times in their lives. Here is Karen's story.
1: Well they were both two very different people. Stephen loved a laugh and he loved a joke. Graham did too but he was very studious. He loved college and he was, um, if if he got um, an interest, you know, he was, he would immerse himself in it and he was great for doing research, whereas Stephen would try and find the easy way out of every situation. Um, there was 11 years between them and Graham was four years old when Stephen started um, using drugs. So he never really had his brother for too long because as Stephen used more, he moved away from our family. But, um, you know, in, in times that Stephen was clean, the two of them were, were really close because it was great for, for Graham to have his brother back again. But it, they both took two very different paths in life. But ultimately, they both ended their lives the same way. Um, Stephen started to smoke weed at 15 in secondary school. I didn't know he was gone on the hop from school. And it progressed that by the time he was 17, he was in active heroin addiction. And that basically became his life right up to the age of 30 when he took his own life. He, in the last four years before he died, he'd been in and out of treatment centres and he'd been clean for maybe months or a year at the most at a time, but he always relapsed. And the Christmas before he died... He, he started to smoke crack and he he really was the worst that he'd ever been and he took his own life on the 8th of June 2015. He was 30. And what, what was your relationship like in, in the months leading up to his death? It was very volatile because all through Stephen's addiction as a parent you think I'll do everything I can in the world to get them clean. I'll do everything I can to save them and you keep working towards that all the time. But... In the six months before his death, especially around the Christmas when I realised that he was using again, it just seemed that you know, there was no point anymore because my own mental health had suffered as a result of Stephen's addiction. And after Christmas, the two of us fell out because I told him that I just couldn't, you know, look at him slowly killing himself, that I would do anything in the world to see him clean and to have a happy life. But I just couldn't look at him using again. And we fell out and we didn't speak again. And how did you find out that he had taken his own life? Um, funnily enough, I was down in Wexford for the June bank holiday weekend and I just had this terrible feeling all weekend that there was something wrong with Stephen. He still kept in contact with my ex-husband and, and Graham and Rachel, my son and daughter. And I rang my ex-husband when I came home on the Monday and I just said to him, David, I just get this terrible feeling that there's something wrong with Stephen. And he said to me, oh, no, Rachel spoke to him on Friday and he was fine. And about an hour later, David rang me back and he said, Karen, Stephen is dead. His friends have been trying to contact him since the Sunday. Uh, they went up to his apartment on Monday evening. There was no answer. He usually left his door open so everybody could come in and out. And they they rang his phone. They could hear his phone ringing inside. So they eventually had to break the glass in his hall door. And this was on the Monday. We think that he probably took his own life on the Saturday night.
0: And what, what was your reaction?
1: Oh, absolute devastation. I always felt that... Something would happen to Stephen, but I always thought it would be an overdose. I never thought that he would get to the point that he would take his own life. My daughter told me, he told her that he'd been trying to get clean all the week previously and he'd been just on methadone. And funny enough, at his inquest, there was no drugs and there was no alcohol in the system. In the immediate aftermath and then, you know,
0: looking forward over the next couple of years, how did that impact on on you and the rest of the family?
1: Well, when there's a suicide in a family, each member of the family experiences terrible guilt because everybody blames themselves. I blame myself, obviously, because we weren't speaking to each other. Rachel blamed herself because she felt maybe she hadn't seen him enough. She hadn't done enough to try and help him. But Graeme was 19 at the time. And the week before Stephen died, he, the two of them had had a stupid row over absolutely nothing. And this played on Graeme's mind because every so often he'd say to me, Mum, it's my fault Stephen died because if we hadn't fought, hadn't fought, he wouldn't have taken his own life. And he every now and again, this would come up in the conversation.
0: Yeah. And so then three years after you lost Stephen,
1: then you lost Graeme. We lost Graeme on the 20th of November 2017. It was two days after his 22nd birthday. He'd celebrated his birthday on the Friday night out in Swords and he'd been in a party at Lugan on Saturday night. I collected him on Sunday morning, brought him home. He lived with his dad and he lived with me. He went between the two of us and he came home to my house and he seemed very agitated and anxious and he was up the stairs, down the stairs. He couldn't sleep, he was tired. And my family all came out for dinner. And when they went home that evening, he was still up and down and I said to him, Graham, for God's sake, what is going on with you? What were you doing? And he said to me, mum, I was smoking weed on Friday and Saturday night and it's made me so anxious. He said, I can't sleep, I can't relax. I lost the head with him roaring and shouting because he just knew that, you know, I have zero tolerance on drugs. And then, of course, I felt bad so I went up and I got back into bed with them and the two of us lay there for about two hours and we were chatting away about everything under the sun and when Stephen died Graham and myself had both gone to console but Graham only stayed for three sessions he just couldn't face talking about it and he said to me mum I think I need to go back to counselling because I need to you know talk about Stephen I said that's brilliant Graham you know we'll organise it all and You know, it'll be great for you to, you know, to be able to talk about it and get it off your chest. He had only finished college that May. He was a software developer and he got the highest degree in the 30 year history of NCI. He got the award for the best um, project in his year. And he was working with Workday, an American company here in Dublin as a developer. So he had big things ahead of him. He had big, really big things ahead, about, or ahead of him. He'd just come back from San Francisco. They'd sent him out to San Francisco to work for two weeks. Motorbikes were his passion. He had three motorbikes and he had the world at his feet. Um, and on the Monday morning, he got up and he said to me, I still don't feel too great. I think what I'll do is I'll go back to Swords and work from home. I was going to my friend's funeral, so I rang him on the way, he said, I'm home, I'm fine. I said to him, I'll ring you at lunchtime, but I got home, he rang me at lunchtime and he just said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I said to him, Graham, drink loads of water, get all that crap out of your system, eat something and I'll ring you back now in a half an hour. And I dozed off for half an hour and when I woke up, there was two missed calls on my phone from him and I rang him back. And if I missed a call from him or vice versa, we'd ring each other straight back. And I rang his phone about 10 times and I knew that he was gone as well. And I rang his dad and he said he couldn't leave work to go over to him. So I rang my daughter and I said to Rachel, I have to jump into the car. I said, I think there's something wrong with Graham, and I need the key to the house and swords. And I drove across the M50, I'd say it, rang him about 40 times No answer, and I got the key from Rachel. I wouldn't let her come with me. And I got to the house anyway, and, you know, I just had this maybe little bit of hope that he was asleep, but I'd say he was probably dead maybe about an hour. So I don't think I wouldn't have made it to him on time anyway.
0: I mean, I think most people would agree that to lose one child is horrendous, but to lose two and in such a short space of time is just unthinkable. How would you describe
1: that period in your life? You literally, you're living life through a blur, you know, to even get yourself out of bed every day. You're trying to deal with your own grief. And then I'm looking at my husband's, my daughter, my mother. I feel so bad for all them. And yet I'm still trying to keep myself going. The only thing I can say is the counselling that I got when Stephen died, I was able to draw and what I'd learnt at that you know, at that and but um when when one person dies of suicide it just doesn't affect the family. Graham had a huge circle of friends. So did Stephen. But Graham and even bigger, he was a biker of era. And the knock on effect that it has on his work colleagues, his friends, his friends from school that he grew up he, up with, you know, it's absolutely devastating. Yeah, and I, you mentioned that you had you'd
0: sought counselling, um, and I know you've spoken before about the difficulty there is in in accessing
1: it. So, what, what was your own experience with with well, trying to get it? When Stephen died, Graham and myself were able to go to console within two weeks. It, that was fantastic. When Graham died, I rang uh, Pieta House the week afterwards, and unfortunately, they're so busy that they have a six month waiting period. So probably at about five months you go for an assessment and then you start counselling within six months now they give you 30 sessions of counselling but at the beginning is when you actually need somebody there within 48 hours not to counsel you just to be there to because you know to know what you're going through what you need if there's anything at all that they can do for you because you're not thinking straight you just can't you know you're, you're walking through a, a tunnel a maze but um. That's what I'm hoping to do is to be able to, you know, have counselling there for families straight away.
0: And I know that uh, you, because of what you've been through and what your family's been through, you really want to raise
1: awareness around this issue. So what what can you tell me about the work that you've been doing? Stephen and Graham kicked me out of bed every day to spread the word, you know, about mental health illness. We had absolutely no indication that there was anything wrong, wrong with Graham. Obviously, with Stephen's addiction, that played a part in his death. But... Um, I want to erase the stigma around suicide and mental health illness. Eight out of ten suicides in Ireland are, are attributed to men and especially young men. And I want people to know that it's okay to talk. It's okay to have problems. You know, there's always a listening ear there and there's always somebody just to to sit down and talk to, to help, to reach out. There's Aware, you've got Pieta House alone. You've got so many organisations you know that can pick you. That can pick you up straight away, or you can speak to a family member or, or friends. I'd love everybody to know how to speak to somebody who's suffering mental health issues and how to, you know, to help them through that dark period, and to let everybody know that it doesn't last forever that once you start talking you know the clouds will pass and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And there's an initiative in, in Neilstown was
0: it that you, you said you're working on I've actually moment?
1: just in the last couple of weeks I've become involved with community action and suicide in, in role in Neilstown and I've through Graeme's death and, and through this work I have met so many fantastic people that have given me so much support in, in what I want to do And um, I'm hoping that in the new year, with the backing of South Dublin County Council, we're going to start up um, a support group for parents and a support group for siblings and friends because... Parents find it very hard to talk about the issues with their children because they don't want to upset them. And children find it very hard to speak around their parents because they don't want to upset them. And people forget about friends as well and and the the devastation that it causes for them too. So this is my aim now for the new year to get this up and running. I'm sure people who
0: are listening are wondering, uh, because I am, where do you find the strength and how do you find the strength to, to do this because I think you'd be forgiven for just wanting to
1: hide under a blanket. Well, listen, don't. Some days, Michelle, I have really bad days and I just have to go with them. But it, I can't see Stephen and Graham, I can't touch them anymore, but they motivate me all the time and they're the ones that are pushing me on to do this. And I still have a beautiful daughter and a two-year-old granddaughter and I want them to see, you know, that there is a way forward, that we don't have to stay stuck You know, it doesn't have to mark my family that yes, we've lost Stephen and Graham through through suicide and I can use their deaths as as a leeway to help other people and please God to stop other families going through the same things that we have.
0: Do you ever feel resentment about, you know, having to
1: fight for support or having to fight for services that really just should be there for people? They absolutely should be there. And as I said, Pieta House do an absolutely fantastic job. And truthfully, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them, because especially after Graham's death, I did think about suicide myself on many an occasion. And it's very easy not to pull yourself back and the only reason that I haven't gone there is because I could never put my family through that again. And I know that there is better days out there. And this is what, you know, I want people to know. But I think the government need to step in, that it can't always be charities that are, are giving the support and the counselling that, you know, they have to realise that the, the suicide rate in Ireland is getting, you know, it's raising every year. And there's nothing being done about it. It's actually families like myself, people who have lost somebody in this tragedy that are out there fighting for support and for counselling for families. And do you feel like it shouldn't have to be you? It shouldn't have to. There should be a government agency there, you know, that people can turn to and know, yes, I can, you know, can ring them for, for support and know that there's something out there straight away. Do you think that, you know, th- the work that you're doing has helped in any way in your grieving process? Absolutely. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Graeme's first anniversary was only last Tuesday and um, as this, this is what pushes me on. You know, to get up every day, and and the fantastic people that I've met and that have supported me as well. And
0: what do you think your your sons would think about you doing this? Do you think um, it's something they would have expected you to do?
1: Um, I think they would because I've always been a go getter, and if I if I get an idea into my head, that's it. I'll push myself, and Graham would have been very much like that. That if he if he got an idea, he'd push himself. To do it and actually I was only speaking about this with my counselor in Pieta House last week, and I think they'd be very proud of me. You know, because I had two choices. I could have laid down and drowned in grief, or I can take the boys on the, the journey of grief with me and do something to help other people. And it's somewhat of a legacy for for them Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yeah, and their story is their legacy. And as I said, they've taken two different paths in lives. There's so many people in this or families in this country who have somebody who's an active addiction. And then the knock on effect, you know, that it has within their families as well, because like I often wonder if Stephen hadn't taken his own life because of addiction, would Graham still be here? But I will never know because I don't know what mental health issues Graeme had that that he was hiding. And
0: if if there's something that you would want to ask the government for now, what would that be? What do you think we need?
1: Um, I think we need another agency like Pieta House on a bigger scale that's funded by the government. Plus, I think people like myself who would, you know, help out there because obviously when somebody loses a family member through suicide, I know exactly how they feel. If you just want to sit in a room, that's fine. We'll just sit in a room and talk to you, but just to be there for them. Um, you know, when somebody dies, everybody's, oh, God, love you. And, but that's not what we need. We just need a help, uh, somebody to hold your hand and say, look, I know it's so bad now. And you think that there's no end to it, but it will get easier. Life is different. There's no doubt. My life is completely different, but it's up to me to make it a better kind of difference and um, for Stephen and Graham as well.
0: And if there's any um, message for somebody who's listening who might be suffering at the moment and who's feeling really low right now, what, what would that be?
1: What I would say to them is to to reach out to a friend or a family mem- um, family member. When When you're so low, what you don't realise is there's so many people out there that love you. That their worlds will be absolutely broken if you decide to take your own life, and the the saying "this too shall pass" is really th- is really true, because today you might feel so bad, but if you if you reach out to somebody else and start speaking about the issue, it lifts the burden off your shoulders, and there is, you'll find that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Karen, thank you for joining us thank and, and, and for show. sharing your family story with us, and best
0: of luck with all the work that you're thank doing. Thank you very much. If you are affected by the issues discussed in this podcast, support is available. You can call Samaritans on 116 123 or email joe at samaritans.ie. That's J O at samaritans.ie. Or to contact AWARE, call 1800 80 48 48. You've been listening to the journal.ie's podcast Left Behind, presented by me, Michelle Hennessy, and produced and edited by Nikki Ryan. Music is by Audionautix. Thank you to Headstuff for the use of their studio. And thank you for listening.